What God has done with my pain. 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 Welcome back to What God Has Done With My Pain. Uh, today, I have the pleasure of having Chris on the podcast. Chris is someone who I've gotten to meet over the phone a little bit and talk right before we got started. And I can already say that I'm so incredibly excited to have you on this podcast. Also, I'm going to start to refer you as Topher um, oh. because that's what you get called. And so let's, <laughs> let's keep that up. All right. All right. So yeah, introduce yourself a little bit, Topher. How are you feeling today? What's up? What's good? I'm good. I'm, I'm doing well. Um, again, my name is Chris Evans for the people listening, um, but I go by Topher and I'm doing well. Um, the Lord is good. So I'm excited Fantastic. to be here and I'm excited to, to just share my story a little bit and share what God's doing in my life more importantly. Wow. Wow. Love the energy you're coming in with. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about um, a lot of times, one of the things I like to ask is like your childhood, you know, like what was your childhood mm. like, uh, you know, that childlike adventure, like little Topher, what was he like? And then, you know, kind of go from there. Yeah, little Topher was, um, he was a mess to say the least. And I think that's a really good question. Um, actually, it's been a question that I've been thinking about a lot here recently, just about my younger self. Um it even makes me nervous even thinking about it because I was, it was such a long time ago. And I think oftentimes we overlook just how important and how powerful our childhood is. Um, so for me, when I think back on my childhood and who I was, um, my childhood by definition was not the American dream of a childhood at mm. all um, by any means. However, there are a lot of life lessons that I learned in my childhood Um that I remember and cherish to this day. And I, I believe it's made me into the man I am today. Mm. Um, however, wow. when I think about that and think about just the goodness of the Lord through my childhood, um, my childhood was unorthodox, as I said. So I was very innocent, just like any child was. Um, I think you come out of the womb very innocent. We have this mm -hmm. childlike faith. And I think that's so important to have. Um, and, all I really knew up until the age of six years old um, or little Topher knew up until that age was that I had a home or a roof over my head. I had two sisters that really loved me and I had parents that loved me. And it was there where I actually experienced my, my first pain, if you will, my first mm. wound. Um, I think life kind of come out the, the depths and bit me mm. and my parents got divorced when I was about six years old. Um, and that's when I felt as if my innocence kind of faded. And mm -hmm. so. Do you remember I mean what that, that was like in the sense of like, did they sit down and tell you, were you like, did you overhear the conversation? Do you remember what that initial experience was like when you found out? Yeah. That's a question that takes me back. <laughs> yeah. So. Mm. That experience was a whirlwind of emotions, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I, I remember they came in um, into my sister's room, and I was just doing whatever I was doing in there. Um, again, I was a six-year-old, so I could be doing literally anything. But they came in, and um, my mom sat down with me and just went through and, and – told me that um, 
me and or her and my my father um could not somebody opened up the door um <laughs> I was like, oh. um so yeah going back to to the point um she just told me that my father and her are splitting up that they're no longer going to be um living in the same home and that was really difficult for me um and it was really an amazing experience to an, to an extent because mm-hmm. i was able to grasp the depth of how much my mom cared for me um, but how i responded i just immediately was was sad um I was terrified by the news. As I said, it's kind of an amazing experience. I don't mean it like in a, in terms of like I'm shouting for joy and leaping for it um, mm. because I think that what God brings together, no man should, should separate. But mm. in terms of amazing, it's, it's one of those things, as I said before, that has shaped me into the man I am today. And I'm able to talk about it in a way that can probably help bear the burdens with other people who are going through something similar. Mm. So that experience was a whirlwind of emotions. Um, and immediately I was overtaken by my emotions for sure. Mm. Wow. Not easy. I can imagine that was not easy. And so you were saying too about like, that was, I guess, your first moment of experiencing pain within that. Mm-hmm. And so then after that, uh, what was that like after? Because at this point, you've been introduced to the separation of your parents. And mm-hmm. now you, you're becoming a little bit more aware of um, that not everything remains, not to say perfect, but together at that time. So do you remember from there on what that was like, especially just moving forward? I'm, I'm, I'm guessing your life changed. You know, there's a different dynamic now. What was all of that like for you? Yeah, life, life definitely changed. Um, I, I really didn't want it to happen. I was actually the only person in my family that was upset. Like my sisters, they're a little bit older than me. One's like a year and a half older than me. And the other one's about four years older than me. And they were pretty cool with it. I mean, they were, they kind of took it on the chin and um, handled it how they handled it. However, for me, um, my entire world was kind of uprooted. So mm-hmm. for me, what that looked like is that, um, how do I explain this? What I did following that conversation with my mom was I took the responsibility of my parents upon myself Mm. and I put the blame on me Mm. and in my innocence, um, or my tainted innocence at this point, I blamed myself for my parents' separation. And that was a very difficult trauma to kind of put on oneself or a responsibility, especially for a six, seven-year-old kid. Um, yeah. You know, so I took took the decision of these two adults, these two human beings who were unfortunately flawed and made it my, res- my responsibility, which resulted ultimately in my first real experience in, in and with pain. Mm. Um, and I think the rest of my childhood was played out wearing this meta, meta like a metaphorical mask, mm. um, which I think a lot of kids do, especially those who go through divorce or um, any real trauma experience. Um, 
because I really didn't want anyone to know that I was carrying the shame of the trauma that I experienced as this six-year-old little kid or the six-year-old little Topher that was walking around. Yeah. Um, And so what I did was what most people do by minimizing those bad things that I was experiencing in my childhood. Um, and, And so again, when I was, I guess the playing out the rest of my childhood from six to 10 along those lines, that's when I feel as if I was doing the minimizing work. Like I was living mm-hmm. life like a normal kid, of course. I was, you know, I had school, I had football, baseball, wrestling, track, all the sports that I was doing at the moment. But I still mm-hmm. was carrying and wearing this mask and this shame. And so um, I thought that if I could, you know, go forward and edit out all the bad little bits that happened in my life for the or the painful moments, uh, or since I guess the bad things that I was experiencing in my childhood, it would lead to wounds that were a little less painful. Um, but what ultimately, I guess, but what ultimately like resulted from doing that was this kid who was desperate to be seen. And so mm. that's kind of how my rememberization of my childhood was like, is that I just wanted to be seen and loved. Mm. And I had a real hole in my heart um, and real pain that I was dealing with. And I've over the course of 20 years now at this point, when I, from six years old to 26, I have done such an amazing job to be able to quote unquote, minimize the pain that I walked through. And it's been just accustomed to just overlook it. Mm. And that's something now where I've obviously been given the platform here to kind of talk about it and address some of those things. And I think it'll be definitely a part of the healing journey that the Lord's bringing me on too. But um, but yeah, that's kind of like what life was like for me growing up. And um, obviously there's some details in there, but for time's sake... No, you're, you're good. I think that it's, it's really important the way that you just broke it down, you know, for little Topher and how he took that on. And I know you also mentioned on on the phone call that you also grew up Pentecostal. So would you say that at that time, um, you had a relationship with God? Or did you just know of God? Is it just like you, you knew about him? um, But you hadn't yet had a relationship with him? Or had you at that point? start to kind of really play around with having that relationship with God? Like, do you remember what that was like growing up Pentecostal and and your spiritual relationship or experience at that time? Yeah. So it's essentially, you know, kind of having this recognition, or I can't even say that word right, but realizing, (laughs) realizing that I was this desperate kid um, Mm -hmm. who was just aching to be seen at the deepest core of who I was that's what really led me to having a relationship with the Lord. Um, But it was really through my mother's faith, which pioneered Mm. my own faith. Um, And that was one thing that she was relentless in. So kind of how my relationship with the Lord started is, and I indeed grew up in a Pentecostal church, um, which I love. I love the Pentecostal church. I love the people in it. Um, But, um, my mom took us to church every Sunday, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night. It was very tedious. It was, you know, we had to go. There was no ifs, ands, or buts unless there was practice. Um, mm. 
And then on Wednesdays, we would go to youth. And lucky for my mom, lucky for me, my football coach growing up was my youth pastor. So he's been with me since seven years old, somewhere around there. And now he's my mentor. He's an elder in our elder in the church. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where my relationship began or the foundations of it. Yeah. Um, so that's just, amazing though. So he's, he's watched you from like such a young age grow and develop into the person that you're becoming. And that's incredible. What I think that's such an incredible gift and advantage to have to watch someone in their journey with the Lord, but also just like from such a small age into all of that. So I think that's just really incredible that God placed you there because that's, wow. Yeah, it was helpful um, because again, there are a lot of automatic responses when a kid goes through trauma, as I'm sure you've experienced. And oftentimes I think kids are so misunderstood because of what they Mm. hide. And for me, I was this kid who had a tremendous gift of athletic ability. Um, but the way that I channeled my, my thoughts, my feelings and emotions was lashing out in anger um, mm. or being overly funny. And it was all to bring attention to myself. So if I thought the crowd could give me attention, I was receiving something that would last. Mm. Um, and the same thing with me and my friends just joking around. I want to be the funniest dude in the room. Um, I wanted to be the center of attention because yeah. in my mind and in my heart, I wasn't, I was the least bit of valuable there was. And so having this thought, um, you know, I've, I've been able to obviously channel it through sports and be able to kind of express myself and get some of those angers and frustrations out. But it also was so important for me to have a mentor, a real leader right next mm-hmm. to me, leading me and, and helping me channel those emotions. And I didn't do always the best. Um, that was one thing that really upset me is there was a character award um, that sixth grader, a sixth grader would get. So when we aged out, we would go to middle school ball. But in sixth grade um, was the last year that you could play for like our elementary school, which makes no sense because the sixth graders are in middle school. But <laughs> that's how North Carolina is, I guess. Um, but so sixth grade year. I had been looking forward to getting this. It's like the MVP, really. Um, mm. It's like a character award. Um, it was where the team themselves voted, and then the coaches voted on one player to get it. And I had won the defensive MVP and the offensive MVP, and I was super duper excited because I was like, you know, it's a given that I'm getting this. And then it's in the bag. my name, yeah, that's exactly how I thought. Um, a lot of pride in it, a lot of ego, mm. but when we were, you know, all called up to this stage. I was confident there was three of us and one of my friends, RJ, uh, mm. who's a good ball player, received the award. And that was a a bitter taste that I had. Because mm. of course, just being his friend, I'm happy for him. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, I've put in more work, more, more strength, more everything, more blood, sweat mm. and tears. And I was the real leader of this team and I didn't get it. And I asked my coach, I was like, why didn't I get the, you know, the reward? Mm. And he told me that because I led with a bitter heart. And Mm. that is a message that stuck with me at a young age. Um, And something he and I still talk to this day. I want to, I actually want to kind of dig into that real quick. Cause that, wow. Like that is such a strong, 
like heavy, but so important word right there. Um, in that moment, what was it like for you to receive that in that moment? But also what is it like now for you now to look back at Topher receiving that and Topher now? Yeah. So sixth grade, 12 year old Topher receiving that information. It was really hard for me to grasp because it's essentially, I'm still a baby, you know, mm-hmm. especially in the faith and in the realms of leadership. And so it was in a sense like spiritual milk for me. I, I, or spiritual steak when I'm required milk. And mm. it was hard for me to grasp because I even had a conversation with my parents about it. And I was like, what is that supposed to mean? Like, I don't feel like I'm angry. And mm. so that was the first time I was challenged to evaluate myself and my actions. And after sitting down for about a week or two, um, speaking with my family and, and certain friends and even teammates, they told me, that there were practices where I was purposely trying to hurt my other teammates Mm. um, just to show how good of a player I was or how much stronger I was than everyone else. There was also many practices where I would let my anger get the best of me. Um, If I made, you know, made a mistake or um, I just didn't score or I, Mm. I just did a bad job overall or didn't do my assignment. And so for me, having to sit down, it was the first time in my life where someone challenged me. And that was really tough. That was a um, rude awakening, but it was something so beneficial. Um, And so that would be the best way that I could describe it as as young Topher, um, somebody being told, you know, you're leading with bitterness. And now the adult Chris or the adult Topher looks at that as so much wisdom Mm. and I take it and I'm reminded of it each day. Um, Really and truly it's been such a beautiful reminder because it's so easy to let bitterness take root in our hearts. And oftentimes we don't even have the spiritual eyes or, or, or let alone the discernment to know that we're being deceived oftentimes by that Mm. bitterness. And for me, when I think about leadership, um, that is something where it, it is one thing where you're set apart. Um, it's like Jesus. Could you imagine if Jesus was leading with a bitter heart? No, yeah. I don't think he would have ever st- stepped up on the cross willingly, you know. And so for me, now that I'm an adult, I think there's so much fruit in that conversation that that mm. can be taught. Um it teaches me not only to lead with an open heart, um, but also to challenge the enemy. Um, and what I mean by that is when those thoughts come in or those emotions start to surface, I have to allow myself to feel the emotion, but not to become it. And mm. so oftentimes when I was a kid, I would feel the emotion and then I would become it. And then I was operating out of it. Wow. and that's what has separated me from little Topher to older Topher. And yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's the most, I guess the best way I could explain it. And that's, wow, that's really good just to look back and say, like you were embodying the emotions that you were feeling. There wasn't a separation or just a moment of kind of like, okay, I need to breathe and calm down, but instead kind of like walking in what you were feeling and I also think it's incredibly impressive that you went back as a 12-year-old and we're getting feedback from not only 
that, but you went to your parents and you went to your teammates and you're like, okay, what do you guys have to say about this? Um, Because a lot of people, one, will ask but can't handle it still um, or get told and would rather have not wanted to know. And I think it's incredibly impressive and also says a lot about your character, even at the age of 12, to seek out that and you know, even if at that age, you still didn't understand and your spiritual frontal lobe wasn't complete. I think that it's incredibly impressive that to go out of your way to kind of get that information and try to seek what was going on. And um, really love how you worded all of that and how you how you brought that forth. I also think it's incredibly um, what I love about what you're saying about leadership is you're right. If Jesus led with the bitter heart, I think he would have beat Peter to, you know, cutting the ear off before Peter even lifted up his sword at that point. Um, And not that Peter was bitter, but Peter was about that action from the beginning. So (laughs) I, um, I definitely, I I love that because you're right. Jesus teaches us to be slow to anger and kind hearted. And we all talked about like, you know, one cheek, let him slap the other one. And I remember the first Mm -hmm. time I read that, I was like, wait a minute, what? So I think that, (laughs) A lot of the times we do need um, to reflect because I think that's one of the hardest things. It's we're so quick to judge other people or say why they're missing the mark. Um, But that self-reflection, again, it's just, again, like that 12 year old kind of going around and and looking at what what was going on. Um, And so, wow. So you're you're 12 at that point. So I'm guessing now we're starting to enter enter the, you know, teen teenage phase. Um, and all of that stuff, like what was, what was teen Topher like, you know, now that you, you know, you're no longer a sixth grader, you are moving up, you're getting older. Um, would you say that you started not to necessarily lose your way, but I feel like at that age, we're so impressionable. We want to fit in so much. And I once heard someone say that your parents' voice is, um, is quieter than the voice of your friend. Cause you know, you care more about what people around you have to say than what your parents have to say and so like what was that like for Topher and that transition from childhood to teen youth yeah the transition was just that it was a transition the way I look at it is I think oftentimes people think of adolescence as this process but I look at it as a journey and Mm. for me um, because I think process has too much expectation to it because if you're not meeting the next level or the next criteria, um, you develop these habits of comparison. You develop habits of um, these feelings of not feeling good enough, especially mm-hmm. when you don't meet certain people's expectations. So for me, I look at it as a journey because it, it frees the mind a little bit. It frees the spirit. And so for me, um, that, that process, that, that, I guess, transition, if you will, was this innocent kid still, you know, but he was a little tainted at that point. Mm. I was trying to figure out my way. Like I told you earlier, um, my mom did a really good, really good job at stewarding us in the faith and just being diligent. I mean, there was no ifs, ands, and buts about going to church. It was like, we have to go. And oftentimes that met, that came with some resistance, of course. um, Because again, I am a child. You know, I want to go out and do all the cool things that culture tells you to do at that age. Mm. So for me, that would be going and hanging out with the friends, going to the skating rink, you know, going to little birthday parties here and there. And when it, when those events align on a Sunday or a Wednesday, 
I was like, mom, like dad, can we do this? And oftentimes um, I found a lot more leniency in my father, Mm. um, which I'm sure we'll get to that point here in a little bit. But that transition was one where I still was holding and carrying on to so much shame. Like I said, Mm. I, I was wearing a mask from the time I was six years old to the time I truly surrendered my whole heart to Christ. Mm. And unfortunately, in that process, I carried a lot of pain and that was met with a lot of suffering. Also, it was met with a lot of um, adversity. Mm. I felt as if I operated at a, out of a place of hurt, which hurt a lot of others. Um, mm. So for me, transitioning to my early teen years, 13, 14, 15, 16 in that range, I started to develop. Um, I started getting curious. So just like any kid that age, you know, you're starting to walk through puberty. You're starting to recognize things about your body that you didn't recognize before. And then on top of that, you're having, you know, while you're in sixth grade, eighth and ninth graders speak into your life saying like, oh, you know, you got to start shaving your face. You got to get a girlfriend. And the pressures of the young world begin to fall on you. And for me, I was definitely a victim of that in a sense. Mm. I wanted to be the coolest kid, the the biggest, baddest dude on the playground, if you will. And I was willing to challenge or do anything to get to that point. And so walking through that transition phase with that in my mind of the mindset was, if you want to be the best, you have to take out the best. And so mm. I was like, if the best person that I visually can see is doing this, I have to do it better. Yeah. And so I was introduced to pornography um, very early. I was actually introduced at eight years old, but mm. I didn't really get fully into it until middle school, sixth grade year. And then I lost my virginity. Um a couple months into sixth grade year, actually. Mm. And that's when I started drinking and doing drugs and started fighting a lot. And um, I just wanted to be cool. And again, Mm. it's that same seed that was planted in me at such a young age. It's just wanting to be seen. Mm. And I didn't have a proper way of channeling it, even though I had good parents and a good mentor in my life. I was the one that was having to make these decisions and I just wasn't prepared for it and let alone willing. And so that transition looked like a bigger mess than little Mm. Topher. um, Yeah. Baby Topher, if you will. And so I think back now on that moment of my life where I'm, I'm in sixth grade and seventh grade, I'm dating girls, trying to be the cool kid and, you know, also the captain of the football team and whatnot. And then again, it's like every time I was running the the path of the flesh, God would throw this righteous correction. Mm. Like, and I wouldn't even know it was from God, but he would throw this righteous correction. And it would, sometimes it would be allowing me to suffer to bring me mm. back to reality or bring me back to dependency on him. And for me in sixth grade, that was when I got my first real, other than my parents' divorce, my first real shock in life, my mm. first real test. Um, so I snapped my leg in half mm. playing with the ball. 
and this was right after I got the news that I made the USA baseball team at that age. And mm. I was extremely excited. I had so many high hopes and aspirations and I snapped my leg and mm. I couldn't play baseball. I couldn't wrestle. And I was, I was angry. It just mm. fed into that anger. And my whole seventh grade year, I had to learn basically and teach myself how to walk again. And then I was able to play baseball at the end of seventh grade year. Mm. And again, I was still living life on the highway. I was doing everything you think of. And God was still trying to get my attention. He was still trying to call me home. Even though I mm. knew of him, I definitely didn't know him. Yeah. And he was trying to, 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 I don't want to say bribe me in, but he was trying to reel me in. And I just was so defiant. And so every mm. time he'd do it, I, I would meet that with defiance. And then it would be like, nope, I'm, I'm going to discipline you now. Mm. And I would get so angry with him. And so, you know, fast forward to seventh grade year, I um, met my second moment in my life where mm. adversity changed my life. Because my mm. when I broke my leg, it, it completely changed my life. I quit playing baseball at that point. Mm. I couldn't couldn't do it anymore. I lost a lot of skill, um, and it was just a really frustrating process. Yeah. Baseball. I life imagine like, you had to watch people play too, or hear of people playing, yeah. and you couldn't you couldn't join on it. Yeah, no, I couldn't. So that was all my friends were doing. And this is a mm. kid who, the way his biggest outlet was sports. And so seventh grade year, um, I played Little League. And I was always good in Little League and all that stuff. Made the all-star teams and whatnot. But then seventh grade year, I'm trying to play for the middle school team. And it was what we called daddy ball. And so daddy ball was basically where politics play a portion the parents mm. pay a portion and basically whoever knows the most people is going to play uh, um, or whose parents pay the most money, so on and so forth. And mm. for me, um, I made the team my seventh grade year and I didn't play but one game and I made one error in the game and I was taken out immediately. And, um, I wasn't even in a position that I was good at. I, I had never played that position for, before. And, um, that's when I was like, you know what, I think this is time to call it a quit on this career and just focus on other sports. Cause if this is how sports are going to be, I'm not having fun mm -hmm. and let alone like we're not winning. And then right at the end of baseball season, I had a really good friend, um, who, He had a lot of troubles in his early year, but he had an mm. older brother who was in his early 20s at the time. Mm. My buddy invited me over, and it was right at the end of the year. And I um, was taken to another home, another house close by. And I, I'm not sure if like I can really say too much on it, but more so I was – there's a game called Russian roulette. Have you ever heard of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a guy put a loaded revolver in my mouth mm. at 13 or 14, I believe, and played that game with me. And he actually, it was very traumatizing for, for anyone that age. 
Yeah. Um, and this is where like the real adversity came in because that's when I started to operate out of fear um, mm. because death was very clear in that moment. It was like my eyes were being, or my death was being flashed before my eyes. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so that happened. And I told my parents a couple of weeks after the fact, and he ended up getting arrested for about five or six years because of it. Mm. And then, um, you know, obviously life kept going. It doesn't yeah. stop for anyone. And but just out um, of curiosity, though, um, what was that like for you to tell your parents, you know, to, to bring that to their attention? And then I imagine after telling them there was a process of confronting, not necessarily confronting, but like also having to bring the authorities into it. And because the way I see it, it's like now this this box has been open that, yeah. you know, you went to tell your parents, but now there's these other little things that you're like, whoa, I don't I don't know if I'm ready for all of this. Or were you like, I'm I'm ready. Like, what was that like telling them? And then having to also go through that experience of what happened after telling them. Yeah, that experience was an interesting one. It was one that I was afraid to do. Mm -hmm. um, I think oftentimes, anytime you're a victim of something of that regard, um, even if it's like in, in opposition to um, like sexual sexual things that happen, like when people take advantage of others or, you know, mm -hmm. by, you know, you know how it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're met with this reaction of either flight or fight and some people mm -hmm. freeze. And for me, I was like, I don't know what to do because mm -hmm. I'm a fighter. And my mom, I remember she was sitting in our living room and we had a we had a little trailer. And so it wasn't mm -hmm. a lot of room. And she yeah. sitting in the living room and I walked in there and I was like, Mom, I need to talk to you about something. And she was like, What? What is it? And I was like, I was very blunt. I mean, I was, mm. this guy put a gun in my mouth and he pulled the trigger. She was like, what do you mean? Put a gun in your mouth. And she thought like maybe a Nerf gun or, yeah. you know, she was not thinking it was a real loaded gun. And I was like, yeah. um, dad's neighbor, because my dad lived with his father and yeah. they lived in this trailer park and it was not the best area to say the yeah. least. And um, I told my mom the whole story. I just said, you know, this guy put a gun in my mouth. They basically like taped me down, mm. tied me up basically and pulled the trigger. The gun was loaded. I saw him put the bullets in the chamber mm. and my mom <laughs> lost it. It yeah. was like the mama <laughs> bear in her um, snapped. And she was like, what do you mean? Asking me to be very clear. She called my dad. My dad drove over my stepdad was there. My uncle came over mm. and it was like this whole family affair. <laughs> then they called the police. Police officers yeah. came over, took a statement. Yeah. Um, and then asked me that they sat me down and the sheriff looked at me and said, if we convict him of this crime, are you willing to press charges? And I said, I don't really know what that means. Mm, he's like, yeah. well, if he's convicted, he'll face multiple years in prison. And you'll be able to, you know, not see him anymore. And I didn't, that was one of the biggest decisions of my life because yeah. I knew how much that was going to affect someone else's life. And I felt mm. bad. But mm. then I realized that real decisions have real consequences. And if it was anyone else, they could have 100% mm. 
been affected by that so much more than me. Like they could have mm. taken their life. They could have yeah. taken that aggression out on another kid who didn't deserve it. And so I yeah. said, you know, I think that there definitely needs to be a stop and mm. I'm willing to press charges if you guys convict them. And so a couple months go, a couple months go by and they ended up convicting him. He, he pleaded guilty and um, they said that he was going to face a six year charge that I would need to go to court, testify all these things. And I was like, I'm just not comfortable being in the same room as him. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm fearful that he knows it's me because yeah. I, I don't know what my mind thought that he didn't I'm, know it was me because I'm sure that I was one of the only people he did that to. But mm. um, I was still fearful. And yeah. I, I ended up not even having to go and they they convicted him. And yeah, he was mm. he was in jail. He got out um, on good behavior. So he got his time split for like, instead of three years, or I mean, instead of six, he got three and a half. Um, mm. And so I thought by then he would probably forget about it. Um, but I was sitting on my on my buddy's couch one day and he walked in the front door. Mm. <laughs> At that point, I had grown up a little bit. I was 15, yeah. 16 years old. and You've I was had like, time to think about it too. Yeah, I was like, if he tries something, I can defend myself um, yeah. at this point. And he just sat down and said, how are you? And smirked at me. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And mm. so I walked outside after that. I mean, I talked to him for like 10 minutes, caught up. And, yeah. Um, yeah, the rest was kind of history at that point. So that was a, it was a very difficult conversation to have. It was like I had to meet my fears head on at that point. Yeah. And I could either cower or I could stand up and be firm and I was able to be firm and, and then my parents came and got me and a couple mm. years later actually that guy ended up passing away um, in a car accident and I really hope by that point in his life he kind of turned everything around I really hope that for him but you know, yeah you'll never know yeah. so yeah that was one of the biggest adversities in my life at that age especially being mm. so young um, yeah. and that that period when you were talking about like the transition of, mm. you know, young Topher to like middle school Topher, like young, young adolescent years, I was going through what it felt like left after right of adversity and trauma and just spiritual attacks. Um, right after the guy had, assaulted me in a sense I was actually sexually assaulted by a very good family friend actually um it was one of my older sister's friends mm. and we would always go over there and hang out as family and it really wasn't anything that I had planned on experiencing of course um, but she was an older female she was probably five or six years older than me four mm. and a half five years somewhere in that range and we would play hide and go seek all the time. And this time we hit in the same area and that's when um, I would be physically touched and mm. things just kind of out of my control. And that was another moment where, again, I, I minimized the bad things that were happening to me because I thought if I could just pretend that it didn't happen, mm. I wouldn't have to deal with the feelings Yeah, and let alone like face those traumas and, I've kept that to myself for years. I finally actually like after 
10 years of that, I told my mom and my mom's mm. like, what? <laughs> and um, I told her, I said, you know, now being an adult, I'm okay. Yeah. Like I have so much forgiveness and so much grace for that person that mm. I'm not even angry and it yeah. doesn't affect me in a negative way. And I want you to have that same grace and forgiveness for her. Cause I mean, it was my mom's, one of my mm. mom's best friend's daughters and mm. you know, that's a really tough pill to swallow or, and a really yeah. difficult question to ask, but yeah. um, you know, we haven't spoken of it, of it since. So I, I'm taking the assumption that my mom has. Yeah. 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 And that's, I mean, that's in, incredible in the sense of like you getting to that point and also helping her or leading her to that too. Um, because you had time, you know, to kind of like learn and, and forgive and have grace and, you know, also acknowledging that you're giving this new information to her that she hasn't had that time, but also immediately just saying like, I have found peace with it. And I'm, you know, I have a, a forgiving heart towards that. And that's not an easy thing to do. A lot of people can't do that. A lot of people are going on year 20 and they're still unable to forgive. Um, and it, it's such a different journey for, for everyone. But again, like for you to have experienced such difficult things at such a young age, I mean, it really is that, that, you know, development age where you are finding your identity and you are questioning everything, but also you don't know what to do or what not to do. You know, like, do I speak up? Do I not speak up? Uh, Cause I mean, you know, little kids are told a lot of the times like, Oh, you're a tattletale. And so even <sighs> speaking up is seen as like, you know, you're, you know, buying your business, you're a snitch, but I think that empowering, I get it. Like it's not ideal um, for kids to always come running all, all the time. But I think that there's such power in as well as giving them that tool of like, it's okay to speak up. And, you know, I just, I really think that for such a difficult experience and then, you know, for them to be so close to one another and uh, have older, like an older people do something to you and then having to kind of process that and bring that to loved ones. And because you're right, it's, uh, it's not just you and it's not just them. There are people connected to them. And again, like at such a young age, you were acknowledging that and such a, such a powerful way of saying it and just your whole experience behind it. But, you know, speaking up and putting him away you know, at that time in his life, he needed to be, you know, put away. And hopefully that helped him not get to someone else, like you were saying. And, and that's also, and I know that the Bible causes us to forgive and be, you know, um, you know, just give them the other cheek. But I also think yeah. that there's power in stopping something righteously and acknowledging that, you know, I don't, con I, in this moment, I'm not condemning you and, and I'm not trying to get revenge, but I do think that you need to be taken out of of the public eye and, and keeping others safe. So for you to have done that at such a young age and, and be able to give a statement and cause a lot of people do back down, you know, yes. similar to kind of like a lot of uh, rape victims or anyone who's been assaulted. A lot of the times they back down, they can't do it. It's, it's really mm. hard, you know, being asked over and over and over again. So just, I just, I think it's incredible that at such a young age, Topher did it. Even if you feel like you didn't run away or you didn't fight, I think that just, being able to proceed with that was incredible <laughs> and so powerful. And I know that God, I mean, has used that and is going to use that. Um, and so, yeah, like, wow. So, and, and I'm, and I'm like, with that being said, you're getting older now. Like you mentioned when he, he uh, got out of prison, you talked about being older and being a little bit more um, firm and 
being able to handle yeah. that head on. What was it like now that you're, you know, you're going to be graduating high school soon, or you're going to be going to college? Like, um, because I know that on the phone you talked about you, you were pretty, you, you went on, um, on a mountaintop type thing. Like you were doing great, yeah. especially when you went to UNCW. So do you want to go ahead and start talking about like what all of that was like, and and this, <clears throat> you know, another era and season that you're about to face in your life? Yeah. So right after middle school, obviously you go into high school and high school has its own new adventures and, and new callings and new clicks and cliches and all these mm. cool things that are happening. Um, and so for me, I, again, was my outlet was sports. I had this calling, this dream desire to go play college ball and to potentially play pro ball. And um, that was where my focus was. And for me, the transition or the the uh, journey, if you will, from middle school to high school was a tough one. Um, honestly, probably the hardest experiences in my life happened in mm. high school. And jumping into that, my freshman year, um, I went to school with my cousin. She was in the same grade as me. And then I went to school with my older sister, Ashley. And she was two grades above me. And um, because I got held back in first grade. And mm. so, she, yeah, she was two years above me. And um, so I had family members there with me. But getting there, it was like a kid in a chocolate factory. Mm. And what I mean is, is that I had all these pretty girls in front of me. I had mm. all these really cool dudes in front of me. And I had the football team. And that was my first experience. Before I even stepped foot in a classroom, I was already on a football team practicing with the guys. Mm. Being a freshman, you're highly influenced by anyone that's older than you because they're trying to teach you the ropes. They're also influencing you um, and they're studying with you. They're doing all these things to, to, to kind of hone your craft into being a better player. And yeah. for me, I got in with the seniors really fast. And mm. the seniors we're not obviously living glorifying lives to the Lord. And so <laughs> they would encourage me to do drugs, sleep around with girls, mm. drink, fight. And um, because I was doing those things, I was able to hang out with them. It was like my yeah. reward for being ignorant or for being just a child. Mm. Um, and so that was the beginning of my transition to high school it was mm. basically the same things I was doing and again it was just me trying to find rec recognition it was me trying to fill a void that was just unfillable by the world by the mm. flesh there was nothing this world could have given me or blessed me with that could have filled it and it took me a long time to realize that but through high school when I say it was the most difficult part of my life is you know, freshman year wasn't terrible. I was promised to play on the varsity team and then that fell through. Mm. And um, that spurred a lot of bitterness to the coaches, also some players and things like that. And then sophomore year rolls around and I'm like, all right, like this is my year. I'm the strongest freshman on the team or strongest sophomore on the team. You know, this, that, and the third. Mm. I'm faster than most guys. Um, you know, I just had a big head and um, it was there where another step of this adversity came into play. Mm. So 
I thought I was on the varsity. I was told by one of my DB coaches that I would play and that I would be a starter and I was all good. And then here comes a transfer, a senior mm. um, who played that position, who led his division last year in tackles and he was a good ball player. Mm. And I was like, oh man, like, no, like now they're not going to. And so yeah. they're like, well, instead of you playing on varsity, we're just going to give you eight quarters. And I was like, which if you're unfamiliar with what eight quarters is, is basically you can only play eight quarters on varsity the whole year until the playoffs. And then in the playoffs, mm. you can go and play if they need you. And so I was like, what a blow, man. Mm. And that's when I really started to just hate being in the county that I was in mm. um, and around the people that I was playing with and, and the coaches. Because first off, they weren't winners. They didn't have a winner's mindset. And they weren't mm. good leaders by any means. And what I needed was someone to to lock in with me. And mm. I was like, man, I just want to, I just want to leave. Like that's all I kept saying. And yeah. I would literally pray, like God, like please just take me out of this situation. But the way that God took me out of it is what shocked me. Mm. Um, absolutely shocked me. So at that point in my life, and this is the one of the hardest things for me maybe to talk about in my life is just mm. I had my whole family at that point and we used to live with my mom. So it'd be, my mom had a one, two, three, four bedroom trailer and my mom and the master with my stepdad or her boyfriend at the time, mm. my adopted younger brother, his name's Kevin, my sister Ashley and me. And mm. then occasionally my sister, Brittany, she's the oldest. Um, but she would mainly stay with my dad and my grandpa mm. and, or she would just be somewhere else. And unfortunately there was a tree that fell on a power line and it left us not having a home to stay in. Mm. And because of that tragedy, if you will, because of that storm that knocked that tree down, my entire family went like that. All mm. the things that were, accustomed to me and all the things that I had finally finally found peace in mm. were being taken elsewhere mm. and my sister started leave, living with a family my sister Ashley started living with a family well actually let me backtrack the first thing that happened was we all had to find places to go so that mm. meant me and my sister Ashley went to my dad's house and my mm. dad's house was a two-bedroom trailer and I had a grandpa who had cancer Mm. Um, who lived with my dad and he was a very bitter mean old man <laughs> um, <laughs> he was but and then I had a sister an older sister named Brittany who had a one-year-old baby mm. and so there was that, two, three, six, of us, six of us in a two-bedroom trailer in a really bad neighborhood mm. and mm. that looked like for me um, not what I was picturing at mm. all and then my little brother such an amazing story. He has one of the coolest stories and what God has done is just amazing. So mm. a little background on him before I finish off my story is that oh, yeah. we adopted my little brother when I was like seven or eight. And he originally was my cousin. So my mom's sister, my mom's half sister had him and she was a heroin addict and mm. lost um, obviously all rights to him. And mm. my little brother went into the foster care system. And he went through home after home and none of them were good fits. And eventually my mom was like, you know what? 
like we're getting it. Mm. this isn't fair mm. and so he came and I couldn't stand it at first I was like man this kid's annoying you won't leave me alone but then I really started to buy into the idea that this is my little brother like this is the, mm. the person I've always wanted and I was like okay like now my role has changed from being the little brother to a big brother and I have mm. to step up unfortunately I abused that role and I used to beat up on my little brother try and make him stronger than what he was and all these things. I was mean to him. Mean as a snake to him. And it sounds it, like to me, you fit the older brother, Bill, honestly. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. But it's one thing I wish I, I didn't do. Yeah. Um, because like, that's what I was going off of is what culture mm. told us. Like my sisters, yeah. you know, they tried making me strong. They tried doing all these things and whatnot. But, you know, I think there's a better way to lead. And mm. so with my little brother, he didn't know his real dad because his real dad had been arrested on drug paraphernalia charges and served about mm. his first 10 years of life in jail. Mm. And so my little brother had never met his dad. He's only met his mom a couple times and he's just extremely traumatized by his circumstances. And so sixth grade in the, in the sixth grade, I think beginning of seventh grade, somewhere in there, this mm. is when, his dad came and got him. So my little brother left a little bit sooner than when all this kind of went down. Mm. But um, his dad had another daughter who was older. She found Caven on Facebook mm. and sent him a message. Like, hey, I think I'm your older sister. My little brother's like, what? Sends it to my mom, shows my mom. They end up connecting. His dad comes down, meets him. They hit it off like two peas in a pod. His dad ends up getting full custody of him, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Like the rest is history. It was such a yeah. beautiful story. Yeah. Um, wow. So then he leaves, and <clears throat> my, you know, fast forward into high school. At that point, he had been mm-hmm. gone like a year or two. Did you um, um like did you miss him once he left? Like could you? Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I imagine that you could feel that absence after he left, after being used to him being there all the time. Yeah, it was a weird transition. Um, very weird. I mean, we did a lot of things together. So it, it, it definitely sucked, but I was happy for him. Like, I couldn't mm. argue with it, you know? Yeah. Um, but it was definitely like a piece of me. It was, it was gone. And, mm. um, you know, we fast forward to high school and everything. And so I have these two other built-in best friends, my sisters um, and my parents and whatnot. We all have to split up. And mm. so me and my sisters go to my dad's. My mom goes to her brother's house. And unfortunately, her brother just didn't have enough room for all of us. Mm. Um, and so we started living with my dad full time. My dad, as I said, lived with his dad. And me and his dad, me and my grandfather did not get along. Mm. Uh, my grandfather did not like my mom. He was very mean and aggressive toward my mom. Um, and there came a point where because there's so many people living so close, you're bound to have a clash, especially Mm. when there's a little, I won't say little kid, but there's a young male who is angry at the world. And one day my grandpa, so I slept on the ground. So what would, how the sleeping arrangements would be, would be my sister and her baby would sleep in the master room. And sometimes my other sister actually would sleep in there. My grandpa would sleep on the couch in the living room and I would sleep on the floor next to my grandpa and then my dad would sleep in his room. And sometimes my sister Ashley would sleep in there. Mm. Um, me sleeping there one night, me and my grandpa got in an argument. 
because he told me he was sleeping in the master bedroom that night and I was watching TV and he come in there and said, turn down the TV, turn, actually he told me to turn it off. And I was like, no, of course I challenged him and I wish I could go back and change it. But you know, the Lord, the Lord's will was honestly in it all. And mm, yeah, he was like, no, you're going to change it. And we started arguing and it became more, just more than just an argument. It became something that was about to turn physical and mm. we started yelling and whatnot. And then my grandfather kicked me out of the house and he said, never come back. And so at that point, I was like, I was 16. I just got my, per- I think my permit. Mm. And I was like, I don't know where to go. And so that night I slept in my car and I had slept in my car a couple of nights. And I was, I guess, rendered homeless at that point mm. and didn't know what to do. I was, I was so angry mm. and I was like, I've been praying for you to get me out of here. And you're just making the situation hopeless. Like it's, it's impossible at this point. Mm-hmm. And then boom, I get a text message from a friend. One of my best friends, his name's Austin. And he um, was asking me like about my situation, what was going mm-hmm. on. And I told him, I was like, man, I've been homeless, blah, 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 blah. blah. I don't have nowhere to stay. So he opens up his room and I oh. stayed with him for a couple months. And another family called the Bershesniks, they, um, fed me and I am indebted to those people for life. Like I will do anything in the world they ask me to do, mm. but, um, you know, they helped me. They, they, wow. there was so much goodness in my suffering is what I'm really trying to say. Like God was wow. still providing, even though like what was meeting the eye did not look like it. Mm. And so I go from this homeless kid to a kid who still is kind of homeless, but like I have a place to stay. And then out of nowhere, my dad ends up talking to me and I'm like, dad, I just want to change schools. Like I want to do this. I want to do that. Yeah. And he ended up finding a house that was like super duper cheap that he could rent in a neighboring County in Davidson County. And fortunately for me, their, their sports were really good. Their coaches mm-hmm. were good, all these things. And I ended up transferring there. You know, that, that, transfer was so good for me but also Mm. at the same time there was a lot that you know so that answered prayer that prayer that I prayed was answered through the craziest experience because my dad's like you know I have to I have to provide for myself and I think it was the first time really in my dad's life where he was challenged to his core and um yeah so that kind of came into fruition and again like Mm. all throughout the rest of high school um life was really, really difficult, you know, going from Mm. this homelessness to again, getting sexually assaulted by this time, a 50 year old woman Mm. um, that was like falling. I mean, it was like one thing after another. And, um, you know, going to parties and people being shot next to you and just Mm. things that kept happening. Um, it it was, life was going by fast. And I didn't find you when you say, shot next to you you mean quite literally like right here or yeah so I went to a I used to go to parties all the time that was like the thing but I would go to parties where guys like me should not be at all Mm. and you know drugs women all of it like there was things being sold there that nobody should see and Mm. unfortunately you know for me I was just with the wrong crowd and there was people who got in the mix of things and a heated argument happened and I'm sitting in a car 
and all the guys that are older than me get out and you know they're fighting and whatnot and then you just boom boom a bunch of shots go off mm. and there's some random person but it got shot right next to me um, outside of the car like I was looking in the car if I had if I had opened my door and took a step to the left that could have mm. been me mm. and that was my wake-up call really seeing somebody get shot like he didn't die um thankfully but yeah. seeing him get shot it, it rocked my world yeah. and that's when I was like okay I gotta slow down and mm. but the partying still kept going on like that's the crazy part is like I, I slowed down but I kept partying I kept sleeping around I kept doing all these things still trying to find that thing that could fill the void yeah and then eventually mm. um, it led to me dating a female who her dad was a preacher mm. and I did not want to respect his authority at all. Um, and it's, it's a situation I wish I could go back and do things a little bit different, <laughs> but it taught me a lot and I hope it ta- taught them a lot too about their family and just about their faith in general. But um, I dated this girl for about three and a half years. And this is me getting to the point, like closer to when I really surrender my life to God. Mm. But I um, finally started dating somebody who they were not living life on a fast pace. They were a preacher's mm. daughter. She went, to, she went to church. She didn't drink, didn't do drugs, none of that. So my lifestyle changed because I was like, mm. here's somebody that I want to be with. I want to spend time with. I've got to get my act together. And how did so you guys cross paths if, you know, you're, you're at a different scene, like you're out partying and they're not, was it like through school? Um... Yeah. So she had known of me her whole life. She went to the, basically the same schools I went to my whole life. Um, but when I transferred to Davidson, um, after I graduated high school, actually, we started dating and um, I think I DM'd her on social media after I saw her post a picture or something one day, because mm-hmm. I had always followed her. Um, yeah. But again, I just was like, you know, I would never date somebody like her. You know, she's just, she don't live life like me. She wouldn't date me. And then I DM'd mm-hmm. her one day and, you know, the rest was history. But, um, you know, I, I would pursue her and do all these things that I was supposed to do. But I obviously still wasn't living life right. And um, we ended up dating for about three and a half years, three years. And um, this is what led me to actually making the decision to go to UNCW. Mm. And so I get to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm at first Scythe tech. It's a community college close at home. Like, what do I really want to do with my life? Cause football is out of the question. I already lost my scholarship. Can't go to ECU. So now where? Wait, how did you lose your scholarship when that happened? I, <laughs> that's enough. I forgot all about that, but <laughs> so There's so much. I keep wait, wait, hold on, wait. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, I so I've only dated three girls in my entire life, but my mm. first ever girlfriend, um, she went to another high school, and so I was at Davidson or North Davy, not North Davy, North Davidson. Sorry, mm. and she went to West Forsyth, which is actually the school I graduated from, but. She went to West Forsyth and we had met, I had saw her at McDonald's after a football game one day mm. and was like, oh, like that girl's actually kind of cute. She's mm. a little, little Latina girl, like 
she, you know, she's got some spice in her veins, a little bit different than what I was accustomed to. Mm. Um, but she had a lot of respect for herself. Um, mm. She was her class representative, class president, uh, very pretty girl, really good at soccer. Um, she had a good head on her shoulders and really good parents. And I was like, man, I really want a girlfriend. I'm kind of just tired of messing around with girls. Yeah. And I saw her, asked one of my good friends. I was like, yo, what's that girl's name? He was like, oh, it's, it's Brittany. And I was like, okay. And um, eventually got in contact with her somehow. I can't even remember the whole story, but ended up getting mm-hmm. in contact with her. And um, I was like, hey, like we should, we should hang out sometime. And <laughs> yeah, I think it was New Year's or it was some holiday. And she was like, yeah, you can come over here on this day. And I was like, all right. And I went. And their whole neighborhood was having this big party. Oh, wow. And all the neighbors were like really good friends with their family. And mm. so she's like, yeah, like, you know, my parents are going to go to the party. Like we're able to just stay at the house and chill. I was like, okay, like, thank the Lord. I don't have to go here um, and meet all these crazy people. Well, we get in there, I meet her dad and her dad like did the whole try and scare me thing. He was buffing himself up and all this <laughs> stuff and he, he was playing with me he was a really cool guy mm. and um I was like man I like this guy's character like he, he's funny and then I met her mom and her mom's really laid back super cool mm. and um they trusted me like they really did trust me and um, they left and so her and I just went into one of their rooms and watched like one of their movie rooms and, and watched some movies or a movie and then I just kind of got the vibe that you know, maybe we should, maybe we should go like join them. And I asked her, I was like, you want to go out there? Cause like, I don't want to just stay in here if that's, you know, going to make you uncomfortable or anything. And she's like, yeah, let's go. So we mm-hmm. go and I meet everybody. And um, I think that night I asked her out after I met everyone, but man, <laughs> part of me wishes I would have stayed in there because <laughs> it was just a bunch of drunk adults who mm-hmm. gave me a hard time. It was like, 10 or 15 men who were out there like pushing me around trying to scare me and stuff like they were mm. they were totally joking um, yeah they're like oh, they're still like, uncomfortable yeah I'm like oh man this is such a crazy thing but um really funny experience overall and um, just joking around and then I go inside and that's where all the women were mm. and they were all drunk and so they were you know again like there were some people who were like hugging me they call me cute and there were a couple mm. women who were kept kissing me on the cheek, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, bro! Like your husband's right there. This is making me so uncomfortable." Mm. Um, but then we left, and and I really sat down and finally like asked myself, like, "Okay, is this who I want to be with?" And I said, "Yes." And we dated for about a year, and mm. I don't even want to go through that whole relationship because it, ah, uh, it was an unfortunate ending, to say mm. the least. I think that was the first time where I ever experienced being cheated on. Mm. Um, but yeah so that's kind of like what led to me transferring schools actually and losing my scholarship so Mm. I went to north and when I say scholarship I had a preferred walk-on so it's not 100% a scholarship but it's one of those things where it's like hey we want you to come play for a ball club but we don't know if we should give you a scholarship quite yet like it's something that you're gonna have to earn while you're here and I was like, you know, that's fine. Yeah. Um, and so my senior year comes around and my first two games of the season, I have outstanding games, like probably the best games I ever had. My first game of the season, 
I think I had around 20 something tackles, 26 tackles. I think I broke the school record for most tackles in a game. And wow. um, I had a fumble recovery and a sack and pass breakups. And I was just all over the field on the defense. Yeah. And, um, then after that game, I was cool. Like everything was good. And then my next game, I have two or three sacks, you know, a handful of tackles, had a really good game again. And um, for whatever reason, I quit. I quit the football team Mm. and I stopped playing because there was an injury that happened, but it wasn't Mm. anything like super crazy. But, um, I was angry with some coaches there Mm. and I can't go into why I was angry because of legal reasons. Cause I know Mm. if like the school board was to listen to this, those coaches would 100% lose their jobs. But, Mm. um, yeah, some stuff happened and mm. um, I was angry and just bitter. And then I had a girlfriend, you know, back at a different county. And I was like, maybe yeah. I can just transfer to their football team and play on their team. And so my parents, it all worked out. My parents were buying a house in their, di- in their district, like my mm. mom and my stepdad. And so I was like, well, let's just go. So I yeah. ended up transferring. Within mm. a month of me being there, I found out. I'm being cheated on and Mm. Mm. I am pretty much the dumbest dude in the world. I couldn't even play football. Mm. I am. Yeah. Everything I had going for me just stopped. And so Mm. that's when at the end of the season, um, the coaches were, the college coaches were calling like, Hey, where's the film on Chris? Like where's the film film on Topher? And they're like, Oh yeah. You don't want that guy on your team. Mm. He quit our team. And, uh, one of the defensive coordinators, I remember getting a call and he was like, you know, we're going to revoke the preferred walk on. Um, we wish you luck in your endeavors going forward, but mm. you know, being a part of this program is not going to be in our interest. And so mm. that was a tough pill for me to swallow. But mm. again, it, it knocked me off my high horse a little bit. Mm. And me and that girl ended up breaking up a couple, couple months later is when I met um, my second girlfriend ever. Her name was Lindsay. And um, we ended up dating for about three and a half years, like I said. Mm. But it was there where my life really started to change. Um, I saw her relationship with the Lord. I saw, you know, how like they were doing things in their household. And mm. um, I was like, man, I need to I need to really start changing. And I think it was there where like that seed was re- like starting to be watered in my life. Like the, the seed that my mother's faith planted in my heart. Mm my ex started to water it and in a sense like she wasn't, but it was really God. But like, regardless, I was like, you know what? I got to go to a four year degree or a four year school, get a degree, start making something in my life. And she was like, you know, I'm thinking about going to either ECU or UNC Wilmington. And I was Mm -hmm. like, if I go to ECU, I know I'm going to start partying again. I know I'm probably going to do this. I know I'm going to do this, do this. Um, I was just too afraid. And one of my mm. best friends was going there and he and I partied all the time together. And so I was like, it's probably smart that I go to UNCW. So I transferred mm. there and um, life was wild. I mean, I still partied here and there, but it was nothing like crazy, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the long story of my transition into college from high school. Mm. Um, again, like all throughout high school was 
drugs, girls, partying, fighting, sports, mm. everything that I thought was filling me really wasn't filling me. And, uh, mm. and in college, yeah, things, things started to really start changing when I got to college, um, big time. So, mm. wow. And that's honestly, that's incredible because like in such like in such amount, like a short amount of time, you went through so much, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it, like you absolutely right when you said one thing after the other, after the other, after the other, we're just keep going, kept going, kept going. Um, and then with you going into UNCW, you mentioned on the phone that you were there during the storm, right? Like you had yeah. like your time there, you had also been there during the storm. So, um, what was that like for you? You know, like you're, you know, you're a, a college student now, um, technically an adult, according to being over 18. Um, yeah. What was that like for you being, you know, being at college now, being at UNCW um, and then leading up to that storm too, just because I know it was, it was a pretty intense storm. Yeah. Um, I think like the three major things in my life, other than giving my life to Christ, are the three most painful things. Mm. And so for me, I told you the divorce. The second thing would be me being like homeless in that area of my life. And the third Mm. would be what I'm about to share next. And so me walking into college and being an adult and living on my own for the first time, even though it really wasn't the first time, but Mm. for what it was, I was, I had my own apartment and all these things. I was paying my own bills, paying my own car off, all these mm. things. And um, living, in Wilming- living in Wilmington, anyone that's ever lived in Wilmington is accustomed to hurricanes and storms mm. in general. It's a little beach town, and, you know, we're right on the coast. So, of course, we're going to be occasionally having hurricanes. But how Wilmington's set up, it's it's like right in the path line to – receive just nasty hurricanes and Mm. in september of 2019 there was a hurricane that came and um, we were advised to evacuate the area and so at the time i was living with my current girlfriend my call it my collegiate volleyball roommate like he was on the volleyball team with me and he was my roommate Mm. and then one of my childhood best friends girlfriends so there was four Mm. of us in a three bedroom apartment and we all were advised to leave. So we all left, went back to our hometowns in Winston-Salem um, and some in Surrey. And so we were gone for about a week, week and a half-ish, somewhere in that range. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to be here. I want to be mm. at my home with my place, like with my girlfriend. I yeah. don't want to be here. And whew, my urgency got the best of me Mm. and oftentimes it does. But I remember reaching out to my girlfriend at the time and saying, Hey, like I'm ready to go. Like whether your parents like it or not, we're going. Mm. And we argued about it, but eventually we, she came over, she packed her bags and we made our way. And this Mm. is where my life ultimately changed. Um, And still is being affected by it to this day. But Mm. as I kind of shared with you on the phone is that, this hurricane happened and we left and on my way back to Wilmington from Winston-Salem, we got about an hour into the trip and I had a severe anxiety attack. Um, and it wasn't something that 
how to explain it. It wasn't something that. Would you say it just wasn't triggered or anything like that? It was just something yeah, that came like out of the blue? Some, yeah, like it wasn't something that I really ever struggled with to a mm. huge extent. Like I've had anxiety happen and whatnot, but it was never like this. Mm. And I had this massive spell of anxiety overcome me. And um, I ended up having to be blindfolded all the way home. Like I, mm. I was tripping. I was really tripping to say the least for lack of better words. And mm. um, we ended up making it to Wilmington and it was there where my life just changed. Mm. Um, as I told you before, like I never thought that it would have such an effect, a profound effect that it had. And I ended up losing basically my will to live. So what ended up happening is as a result of this fear of this, of having an anxiety attack was that I could no longer leave my apartment. So mm. I, I locked myself in my apartment for about six months. Mm. And on top of that, I lost around 50 pounds. My hair started falling out of my head. Mm. Um, I just was not the dude that was on top of the world at that point. And what? just out of curiosity was it just out of the blue you didn't want to leave or was there like a, a, a reason why you didn't want to step outside or why you just preferred being inside yeah so the way I can best visualize it for anyone listening and even for you is when you're at your home you feel safe right mm. but for me it was like the immediate time like if I was to leave my home or like comfort zone it was like there was a million sharks waiting to attack me or like a million mm. demons just sitting there waiting. Mm. And I was like, I'm not even going to entertain that. I'm mm. staying in my comfort zone. Yeah. So that was kind of the imagery that I'm trying to paint here is that yeah. obviously my whole life, I've been traveling the whole world and, and going mm. about different countries and different States and whatnot. And so I was accustomed to that and accustomed to being on the roads, but I couldn't anymore. My brain would not allow it. And mm. so I, I locked myself in my room, lost around 50 pounds, like I said, and um, my relationship started to really deteriorate, not just with my girlfriend, but also with my family members, my friends. I started to be like a full-time gamer. That was like my only realm of escape. And um, yeah, my, the, the anxiety that was over my life at the point was dictating everything. Mm. Um, and I developed and it's called depersonalization or derealization. And so for anyone that hasn't ever heard that term, basically what that means is that the world around you doesn't really feel real or you don't feel like you're a part of your body mm. and it's a nasty symptom of having anxiety and that's all it is. And unfortunately, one of the only ways to combat that other than with God's truth and his word is by facing that fear. And for mm. me, I still struggle with it. But this is where I, I think the goodness of the Lord finally is where I can say like, man, God's changed my life is wow. I went through all of that pain for so many months and I felt so alone. I spent all of Thanksgiving alone, all of mm. Christmas alone. And um, the girl I'd been dating for three and a half years broke up we broke up and mm. it was right 
during COVID. It was the start of COVID too. Mm. And so there was just so much craziness in the world as it is. And I hadn't left my home. I haven't even been outside. I looked like some crazy hermit. Mm. <laughs> um, I finally was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm. I, I don't want to be alive. And so I remember after we broke up, her and I went to my closet and told you this on the phone, but I just hugged her clothes as if it was some sort of goodbye. And mm. I called my sister. I called my dad and I was crying and bawled my eyes out. He thought I was going to end up taking my life. So he called my sister mm. and she lived in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And so that's about an hour, hour and a half. So she drove up, stayed the night with me. Next day, my dad gets there. Mm. He stays there one night with me. And then the next day, I remember I, I went in my closet, sat down, was by myself, and I was crying. And I just started praying for the first time in months, years. Mm. And it was a real cry. And it was a real shout to the Lord. Mm. And he heard me. And that night, I packed everything that I owned and put it in my dad's car. And the next mm. day, we got in the car for the first time. And we drove from Wilmington, North Carolina to Winston-Salem. Mm. And I didn't have any anxiety attacks. No, I was definitely anxious. I was freaking out, mm. like, internally. I was like, oh, my goodness. I mean, I remember sweat was pouring out of my palms and my feet, mm. too. And mm. my mom... Her whole friend group all were praying for me. I was mm. highly covered in prayer. And it's just a testament to the Lord's goodness. And so I finally get home. And after this traumatic event happened, I was finally able to just, you know, and breathe. Mm. Mm. But there was still something missing. And I thought, I have to get back with my ex-girlfriend because there's something missing. Like everything's better now. There's still something missing. And so I tried dating her again and all that stuff and I just made a fool out of myself really and and crossed a lot of boundaries on her end she mm. needed time and space to heal and I didn't respect that and on top of that I just made her life worse and I wasn't loving her the way the Lord intended for her to be loved mm. and so I had to finally accept reality and so it was the day where I was truly letting go of the relationship and her and surrendering it all to mm. the Lord and I think this is where my life changed wholeheartedly is it was about 2 45 3 a.m and I came out on my back porch which is ironically right right above me and mm. I just started crying out to the Lord on the back porch at 3 a.m mm. and I'm sure my neighbors probably thought I was some crazy loony tune who was just crazy but I was crying and just putting my arms up in the air and looking up at the sky and I was like God mm. Why? Why me, man? And I was really expressing my feelings to him. Mm. I was like, I mean, I I don't know what to do. All I know is, is that I'm not a good guy and mm. I need you. Like I need you. Like I, I am fully convinced that this life cannot fulfill the void. Mm. And I've been suffering so much that I feel lost. And so it was there where I was able to just get on my hands and knees and start praising him and worshiping him mm. and crying out to him. And I was like, God, the only way that I'm going to be full in with you is if you give me a sign. Mm. And it was so funny. 
is I was like, I need a sign. I need one. There's no way around it. Like, <laughs> I just need to know. And so I asked him, I said, God, give me a sign. Am I supposed to marry my ex-girlfriend, Lindsay? Like, mm-hmm. am I supposed to be with her? And if you say, if you answer me the way I want you to answer me, or the, you know, the way I need to hear, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll believe in you. Like, I'll surrender. I'll do everything. Mm-hmm. And it was there where immediately in my head, I knew the answer. I knew the Holy Spirit was talking to me. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't want to, I, I didn't want to accept it because I knew in my head I was hearing the word no, 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 mm-hmm. no. And I mean, it was evident. Yeah. Um, in my mind, I was just, I thought it was like the enemy or yeah. my conscience telling me. I was like, no, like, yeah. whatever. So then I get inside and yeah, <laughs> this is the funny part about it is I get inside and of course, like what I told you on the phone is just, mm-hmm. I do what every millennial, every person our age does <laughs> and just hop on our phone automatically. Yeah, And, you know, the first site that I get on is Instagram. I'm checking my Instagram, seeing if there's anything happening, anything popping on there. And um, there was a account that I used to follow. And the name of this account was Trust God, Bro. Mm. And the first post that I saw on their account was the verse Isaiah 60, 22. And basically what that verse communicates is when the time is right, I, the Lord will make it happen. Mm. And it shocked me because I was like, oh my goodness, this is like verbatim what I needed to hear. Mm. But I was like, it's not good enough. I need, I need some confirmation. So I hop off that app, not expecting anything at all. Like I wasn't, but I get on Facebook and Mm. there my godmother had posted the first thing I see I posted or she posted Isaiah 60, 22. And I was like, okay, like this is, this might be a coincidence. I think mm-hmm. God's like trying to get my attention here, but I don't know. And you also like, mentioned on the phone trusted. that it was at a time that he normally would not have been up. Right. And so that was another thing that went into my mind. I was like, mm. I don't know. I don't know. And then I hop on TikTok and it was there where the final confirmation all I needed mm. it was a video and this dude was talking about that and mm. I was like wow and I just started bawling and yeah. I started crying and I I truly surrendered my life to the Lord that night and I asked God to come live in my heart I confessed and I repented mm. and it was such a beautiful thing And that's where my life completely changed. Like not just the direction I was headed, but also the pain that I experienced. It was like I finally was set free from being a captive. Mm. And, you know, that's, I think, is like my story, my journey of how the Lord has saved me in a sense from myself and also from like the Mm. schemes and the plans of the enemy. But Mm. You know, it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop at salvation. There's so much more good news that's to come. And this is that process of sanctification that I think is not just, I I call sanctification in my eyes, it's like the resurrection in a sense. Mm. And because Christ's goodness didn't just stop on the cross or at death. It was in that resurrection where the job was complete. And I think in sanctification it's it's very similar as where like we're being perfected in christ and on the day of 
the end, you know, that, mm. that work will be completed. So. So good. Yeah. When God wants to be loud, boy, can he be loud? Um, but I definitely, I want to ask real quick, um, just back to when you said you were in the closet and you cried out to God with all of your heart. Um, you said he answered, how did he answer you in that moment? Um, when you, before you had got up and left? Yeah, I, um, it's a really good question. Oftentimes, like when people think about when God answers us, we have to hear this like audible voice, something mm-hmm. that you and I can right now hear each other speak. But I didn't hear that at all. What I heard was my father's tears. Mm-hmm. And I could hear my dad in the living room, hear my parents, you know, texting me. I could see mm-hmm. people caring. And was like, surely this isn't where my story ends. And it was there where it was like everything I had doubted my whole life was being proven wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like when I was a kid, when Satan was desperately trying to destroy my future by tearing apart my childhood. It was, let me explain it, like, God was repairing my heart. Wow. And that's kind of how I felt in the moment is like mm. I sat down and cried out to the Lord and it felt like a man was sitting next to me. Mm. And it wasn't just like actually someone sitting right next to me. It was like I could feel the presence of the spirit, mm. God's spirit. And I knew it was undeniable. Mm. And it was the only reason why I got in a car. It was the only reason why I came home. It's the only reason why I've truly given my life to Christ. Wow. And, um, you know, he found me. Like, that's the crazy part is, like, he he was the one that, like, walked in this fire with me. He's the one that wow. shut the mouth of the lion for me. And that's the goodness of the Lord. That's who his character is. And he really showed me how much he cares for me even when I was still a sinner. Wow. And I love, I love that you say that because that's, that's amazing right there. It's, it's God's love while we are still sinning and and caught up in the world that God, like his love, there's not the part, you know, and that's wow. Like that's incredible. I guess, yeah, I had this question for you um, when you were talking earlier about that anxiety if someone listening currently experiences that and has, um, you know, those notes of that or currently feels trapped um, in a form of anxiety if, or if the same anxiety that you were um, experiencing, what would you say to them or what advice or spiritual guidance would you give from your own um, experience? Yeah. So the, the first thing that comes to mind is suffering without prayers, like a ship without an anchor. And this is a phrase that I, I try to live my life by. It's actually a, a term that I coined myself when I was walking through my anxiety. And mm-hmm. um, I can tell whoever is listening that the world will never understand the the depthness of the enemy's attacks, especially mm-hmm. through things like anxiety. Mm-hmm. The world will try and throw anything and everything they can at it. 
but it's only the Lord that can prevail and Mm. knock down the strongholds that are placed in your mind by the enemy. And so for me, the greatest advice that I can ever give anyone who is struggling with anxiety or depression is that your suffering is not without purpose Mm. and that God is creating you in the likeness of his son. He is slowly but surely allowing things to be graced through his hand in your life to shape you into his son, Jesus. And Mm. it's there where when Jesus was on the cross, he was afflicted. He was afraid. Like when I say he was afraid, he did not want, his flesh did not want him to get on that cross. He Mm. said, take this cup away from me. Mm. And, and it was in there where he, he, he realized the suffering that was at hand or what was about to come. Mm. Mm. And he was like, I, I don't want to do this. I'm afraid I'm this and that, you know, he didn't obviously say all those things, but that's just the way it, it kind of is interpreted. And he said, but not my will, but yours. And that's where the goodness of the Lord truly takes place. And I think for anyone struggling you have to get to a place where you recognize your fears, your mm. lack of motivation, your anger, your abuse, your unforgiveness, your sin, and say, God, I surrender this to you. And I have these desires and I have these wants for my life, but not my will, yours. And mm. I think there, where when, when we're willing to surrender that's when true transformation takes place. And until we can humble ourselves, I don't think that there is anything that would truly change our circumstances because we're still leaning on our own understanding and our own strength to try and fight the battle. And God Mm -hmm. is saying, I will take these burdens from you. My yoke is easy. It's light. Mm -hmm. You don't have to struggle with these things. And Unfortunately, I think it's our flesh that often tells us that we have to um, fight the battles. We have to be the ones to do this and do that. But it it's not it's not our our fight to fight. And I also want want to say too is that we're not up against. I think what a lot of people strongly suffer from is because bad things happen they automatically have to place the blame on something or someone but we have to Mm. recognize that and truly like spiritually discern that our enemy is not flesh and blood Mm. it's against principalities and so when we have that mindset and we have that truth we can truly understand the character of god a little bit more and Mm. so what that means is Oftentimes when bad things happen, we want to place the blame on someone or something. So essentially, let's say you got sexually assaulted like me, or let's say, actually, let's use this. You got cheated on by Mm. someone you never thought you were going to get cheated on. And your immediate thought is, oh my gosh, how could this person do this to me? How come Mm. this, how come that? And then you start to place the blame, like this person did this. So I have to act this way and I'm going to be bitter mm. and I'm going to do this. That's not what the Lord calls us to do. Instead, he, he calls us to go to the cross to be first to surrender everything that we have to him, but also to be reconciled. Mm. And 
we have to recognize that it's not those people that we should have the issue with, even though they really hurt us. It's actually the fact that they were being inspired and deceived by the enemy to fall short. And the enemy Mm. wants you and he wants to try and break up any sense of unity the Lord is trying to do. And I think anxiety Mm. is a lot like that too. And even depression, because depression so many times places the blame on oneself. Like depression's like, if you Mm. weren't such a loser or if you weren't this, and you have to combat those truths with confession and you have to declare, instead of these like affirmations, you should declare God's promises over your life. Mm. And that's, those are some of my greatest pointers and greatest advice to anyone who's struggling with anxiety or depression, things that have helped my journey a tremendous amount. So, yeah. Wow. That is so good. Absolutely incredible. I really, really am grateful for you answering that question because I just know that that's going to help somebody and it's going to give them the tools that they need to move forward and, and to, to breathe, get a a big, big gust of fresh air. Um, and then you were talking about being a freshman and how um, how impressionable freshmen are. And I just want to loop back and say, like, you're absolutely right. Again, it's such an, a young age, but you are wanting to fit in. And, um, what advice would you have to a freshman or a sophomore who, you know, is so tempted to follow the crowd or, or follow these older classmates who, you know, seem cool and they seem like they've got it figured out and they're giving you all of these, um, like advice that you could use, um, in high school, like how would you help equip them to one, be able to determine, okay, and even if not, because let's be honest, like it's really hard at that age. Like you, you're you aware somewhere in the back of your mind that it's wrong, but at the same time, you can't help but want to. So um, if you could talk to Topher, you know, freshman Topher or sophomore Topher, what would you have said um, in hopes that he would probably even keep it in his back pocket for the future? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a challenging question at that too. Um, for me, what I would tell anyone that is walking into their freshman year of high school or even maybe college, like Mm -hmm. anyone that is in some sort of stage of life where they're truly being heavily influenced is there's a couple things that I think I would say. One I think would be that. All right. Trying to think of a good way to put it without it being just like too blunt. If I was to think back and talk to Topher, young Topher, the kid who wanted to impress everyone, I would say that true leadership is in self denial. Mm. And on top of that, if one must want to truly be loved and to love, One must know love. And Mm. the only way I can do that is by being fully surrendered to God. Mm. And, you know, of course that comes with its, you know, trials and tribulations. Um, You know, you're not excused from suffering just because you know God. Yeah. But it gives the person who is going through the things where they're wanting to be loved and wanting to be adored and, you know, looked at with some sort of value saying my, my, Mm. 
worth doesn't come from anyone other than God. It doesn't come from how my boyfriend treats me. It doesn't come from how my girlfriend talks about me to her Mm. friends or to her family. Um, You know, and it doesn't just stop there. But when I talk about leadership, I think the best leaders are the ones that were able to come to a death of themselves, Mm. not just spiritually, but also physically in a sense of dying to the flesh. So what their flesh wants them to do, they do the complete opposite. And I think that's where the real fight of true warriors begins is within one's own mind. And Mm. so every kid, every male, female who God is calling, there is a battle in our minds that is being taken place. And Mm. we look at stories like David and Jonathan, or not Jonathan, but David and Goliath. Mm. And I think David was such an amazing leader because not only that, but David was able to look at this giant face to face. And on top of that, he was able to not just look at the giant face to face, but also have the pressures of being doubted. Mm. Um, Saul looked at the kid and was like, absolutely not, brother. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're not equipped for this big guy. Nope. It ain't happening. You're a little kid. And the kid. fact that David still convinced them and said, let me try it anyway. Yeah. So, you know, it goes back to that declaration. Mm. David. Dave was a leader. He died to himself in terms of saying, I'm not going to doubt the Lord. He, mm. I'm not going to doubt what the God, what God can do. And I think that's the difference is that if you really want to experience change in your life and you really want to have this mm. calling of being set apart, you have to recognize the Holy Spirit that lives within you and recognize that there's so much power that that spirit has. I mean, he resides in there for a reason. And um, I think he's just kind of waiting to be let out of the cage, so to speak. Mm. But it's up to us to kind of open up those those doors. So yeah. those are the two things I would really say. It's just real leadership is denying oneself. And mm. then, um, I mean, remember what I just said about the other part, but yeah, luckily it's on. It's on trusting there. God, but it, I think, um, yeah. I really think it's amazing what you shared. And uh, one thing came to my mind, and this is so off topic because it's off topic, but on topic. And what I'm about to say is um, there's an episode in the office. And if anyone hasn't watched it, I'm going to give a quick little thing. It's uh, this, this salesman Dwight gets an award and he has to speak to a whole group of men and he gets really anxious. He doesn't want to. So his boss goes up, completely tanks the speech. Nobody is vibing with it. So then Dwight gets up and he's killing it. He, I don't know how, but captures all of, I mean, and also he's just reading verbatim a random thing that he got off the internet. So it's not even his own words, but he captured this audience. And later in the episode, uh, Michael is at the bar and he's drinking and he's kind of feeling down because he's like, dang, like I, I couldn't get the crowd. And he went up there and he got it. And Dwight shows up and they're talking and Michael somehow manages to get Dwight laughing. And I mean, cackling. And at the end of that episode, what Michael says to the camera, which I think is a really good tool to think about is he says, you know what? Today is a great day. And I might not be quoting this accurate, so don't come for me. But he says today might not have been a great day, but I captured the attention of one man who captured the attention of a hundred men. And what came to my mind as you were speaking, it's like, if anything, if anything, if you don't catch the attention of your peers and of your coworkers and of the crowd, like 
catch the attention of God, like capture the attention of Jesus, who has captured the attention of millions, like who gave his life for billions and trillions. And then just thinking about that scene to me is like, he was, you would think that he would have felt defeated, but he was so giggly because he's like, well, I got, I got Dwight, I got this character. And I think that, you know, get either get the attention of the world or get the attention of the one who created the world. Um, And I think that if you can just shift that attention and just say, you know what, like, I'm going to grab the attention of Jesus and, 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 and his, his presence and his love. Um, Cause like you said, he's the type of man that, you know, would never turn his back on you and loves you. And so the best um, attention to have is his, and it's always there. It's always present. It's not looking down at its phone, at his phone and texting and, or, you know, dismissive side comments. Um, Jesus is fully present and, it it definitely is a journey to get there because I think that a lot of the times we learn to appreciate God's love and presence in our life. You have a fruit fly too? Because yeah, I had I one here earlier something. and I was trying not to like wave at it because I was like watching it fly in front of me and I was like, okay, don't stop it, don't stop it. Okay, great. It's not <laughs> yeah, just me. <laughs> I, was like, what is that? I thought it was a fly. I'm assuming it might be. It's a little, little like, tiny little fruit fly was the one on my end. Maybe a little paranoid. Anyways, um, yeah, but like catching the attention of Jesus is the, the best um, yeah. person who you could grab their attention um, versus the world and the crowd. Because, you know, at some point the crowd has to go home, but Jesus walks with you regardless. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, come on, Topher, that was incredible. That was just so so uh impactful and and full and just coming from a place of of pain again like the whole point of the podcast is to talk about what god has done with our pain and how he's just used that pain a lot of people think that like you know oh well you're saved and or not you know like everything gets better immediately instantly and man it's not the case god if anything really does develop us and grow us through pain um, so many of his disciples um, can very like just can testify to that. And um, I guess my final question to you is, uh, what would you say that God has done with your pain if you were to like just cap it all up or just look yeah. back and say, man? Yeah. First, before I answer that question, I just want to say that what you just said reminds me of how there is a lot of significance in being publicly insignificant. I think some Mm. of the greatest leaders were okay with not having the main character role and that Mm. they gave that role to the Lord and they were able to truly operate out of a place of faith, trusting that the God, the head, the father um, is in control. And so I think, Mm. again, there is so much significance in being publicly insignificant. Um, and I think that that is part of denying oneself because oneself is, I don't care who you are, when you start to get a taste of fame and money and all these mm. views and all this stuff, it's addicting. Um, mm. so yeah, just want to affirm that and, and also say to like, thank you for sharing. Um, it's funny how you used the office as an example. <laughs> um, I've actually only seen like one episode of the office. I'm not a big office guy, but. Are you a Parks and Rec? People who normally don't like The Office levitate to Parks and Rec. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually, so I'm like a, <laughs> I got to how to explain this? I've always been a big movie guy, like a big mm. Disney dude, 
you know, and, and Nickelodeon and all those things mm, like that. I grew up, classics. grew up watching SpongeBob, um, grew up you know, Spy Kids, all those, all the things that people normally watch. But as yeah. I transitioned into my adult years, I've gotten into anime, which is oh, such a, anime such is a really thing. good. Anime no, is really is. good. I, I would say I got into the office at like once I graduated high school, but that's you know that's not a here or there. But um, yeah. anime is actually really good. It's hard. I feel like you appreciate it more as an adult because you're like, well, yep. this is really good. Yep. And I thought it's so funny. Like now that I have a relationship with the Lord, I can see so many things that are like spiritual in it. Whereas before, mm. like when I didn't watch anime, I'm like, yeah, this show is kind of like weird. But now, yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's super cool. Um, I typically try to watch a series, you know, throughout the week or watch a couple episodes mm. here and there. Um, if I yeah. do watch TV, but yeah, so that's, yeah, that's that. But um, to answer your question in terms of, you know, what has God done with my pain? So mm-hmm. again, like I said, I don't think that the story just ends at me placing my faith in God. I think that the story mm-hmm. continues on. And so yeah. what God's done with this pain, all these experiences that I've kind of voiced to not only the listeners, but also to you is that. God was using this to shape me. And so earlier I used Mm -hmm. the phrase that um, suffering without prayer is like a ship without um, an anchor. And Mm -hmm. I think ships without anchors are just lost in sea for Mm -hmm. the most part. And for me, that's kind of where my mind set is with it is God has allowed me to experience all of my life's experiences not only to create dependency in him, but also to strengthen my spiritual endurance. Mm. Um, so the way I, the way I really see it is, is this is God has saved me from all of those traumas, all of those pains, all those frustrations. Mm. And now I'm being perfected in the spirit. And now God is truly mm. working through me, speaking through me. He's taken root in my life and everything's changing and I'm finally able to produce good fruit. And so for me, God has taken broken relationships and repaired them. He's also taken mm. um, addictions and dispersed of them of how mm. he does. So I'm no longer addicted to pornography anymore. I am no longer a guy that fights like fist fighting. I don't drink mm. alcohol haven't had alcohol in over four and a half years. Mm. Uh, I don't do drugs. I haven't done drugs in a long time as well. It's probably been at least nine years. Um, And now I operate out of the spirit rather than my flesh. And Mm. it's all thanks to the Lord genuinely. And I don't say that in a way that boasts of oneself, but I'm really boasting in him Mm. because I wouldn't have had these opportunities to be able to do that. And this transition of from death to life has Mm. completely changed everything. Um, And this is what I want the whole world to be able to experience. I was able to have that reality for the majority of my life of suffering and pain and anger and unfulfillment. And I was thirsty. I was so Mm. thirsty. But God promises that if we come to his will, that we we will thirst no more. And so when I got to him, it was there where 
I finally was, my thirst was quenched and Mm. he started putting people and things in my life to, Mm. to, I don't want to say reward me, but to show me of his goodness, to show me kind of like what he did with Job after Job lost everything. Mm. He showed Mm. Job because of his faith that he was good and that Mm. the Lord was always with him and he replenished everything he lost. And so for me, now that I've experienced really broken relationships with my first two relationships, I was able to fast forward um, and date a uh, date a female who loved the Lord. And not mm. only that, she inspired my faith. And mm. we're not together right now or anything like that. But even just having a taste of God's goodness through her faithfulness was enough mm. to give me hope for a future. And and when I say a future, I mean a marriage, something that is honorable mm. to the Lord, something that is able to deny my flesh or anything that, that the enemy's trying to get me to do. Mm. And so that's where I'm at with everything now is that God has been able to bless me with things like friendships mm. and things like relationships. And not only that, but also ministry opportunities. So I'm a full-time member at VU. Um, which is a church in Miami, Florida. Um, which, I was going to ask about that. Yeah. So, That's amazing. Yeah. I, I've been a member at VU for about going on a year and a half now, somewhere around those mm. realms. And I, I go online because it's in Miami, like, and I don't live in yeah. Miami quite yet, but, you know, it is what it is at this point. But I've been going there and the ministry itself has been such an opportunity. And in January, actually right before January of this past year, I was like, I want to get involved. I want to start serving my community. I want to start Mm. helping out with the ministry. I want to do something like I don't want my faith to be dormant. I want Mm. it to be active. I don't want to be just a hearer of the word. I want to be a doer. Mm. And I want to do what I'm truly called to do. And that is share God's word. And so I was like, all right, how can I do this? And so they have these things called VU Cruise. And VU Crew is all about small groups. So essentially, mm. it's where after services on Sunday, we meet with a select few people, probably around 20 people, 15, 20 people, depending on how big the group is. And we go through the sermon and we at, mm. answer questions. We, we discuss certain topics and we pray for one another. Um, and ultimately, we're just being the hands and the feet of the Father in, in that time period that we have with one another. And so I joined one of those groups and I was able to meet such amazing individuals, my leaders, Kevin and Anne-Marie. Um, man, they're such amazing people, honestly. They're mm. a couple years older than me. They might even be close to my age, actually, but, mm. um, you know, they're helping open doors and they've actually um, rec- recommended me to step into a leadership role and lead my own group. And so now mm. I'm actually helping Anne-Marie lead a group. Um, in the next couple months, well, in a month from now, I'll be able to start mm. leading my group because they have these things that are called building blocks, and I have to do that for a month, um, just so I'm transitioning into the the leadership role as wow. best as I can. So I'm able to do that, and then now I'm helping serve the church through their YouTube, as well as through um, some informational things called Growth mm. Track, and so I'll be able to help lead. Um, specific individuals who are part of the ministry and want to serve and want to do things like that by answering questions, by providing them 
um, help with their spiritual gifts and their personality and so on and so forth. And that has been such a blessing. And then I have an opportunity to, so after I graduate from Liberty University, I am currently a student at Liberty University online and I am getting my business degree specifically in digital marketing and advertisement. Not really mm. sure why I chose that, but I know I wanted a business degree. Um, but after I graduate there, I can either continue to go to Liberty and get my um, master's in um, divinity, or I can join VU's um, ministry program and, and, and become a preacher. Uh, Amazing. So, that's the calling I know the Lord has placed on my life. I have a lot of things that I need to accomplish before I get there, but I am I mean, wherever he goes, I'm following him at this point mm. in my life. And that's part of the reason why I hopped on this call with you is because <laughs> I'm like, you know what, Lord, like where you go, I go, you know, where, yeah. where you want me to be, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be all ears and I'm going to do my wow. best to answer things and do things according to your will and not my own. And yeah, it's been such an amazing thing. It was like I was the prodigal son and the Lord has, mm. has forgiven me and accepted me and he's always loved me. And Amazing. Yeah, here we are today. And so life has been, it's not by any means what I think a lot of people think that are outside the faith. They're like, oh, you know, Christians are just delusional. Like they think you're not going to struggle. It's like, no, like I understand that life with Christ is full of suffering. But there is an eternal hope that my suffering will end one day because of his goodness mm. and faithfulness. And even if I don't see the healing here on earth, I'm going to receive it here in heaven with my father. And that's so the big. hope that I hold on to because I still struggle with anxiety. I still yeah. have temptations with lust. Mm. Um, I've, I've made yeah. really bad decisions that have unfortunately hurt people all the while being a man who's chasing after God's heart. and. Mm. Um, you know, I just want people to know that it may not be all sunshine and rainbows, but there is a faithful God at the end of the rainbow who is still going to be there, whether you mm. sin or not. And he loves you regardless of what you think about yourself or what your friends or family tell you. So that would be my message is to just lock in with the Lord. Amen. Yeah. That is, that is so, so good, especially just being you know being believers and messing up you know yeah. having that trip every now and again but knowing that you can get back up and um you know there's that uh, uh the accuser voice that wants to be like oh you messed up but it's also learning and equipping yourself to be like and i'm good i am good he probably yeah. already saw that was coming so i'm just gonna keep on trucking and keep trying um and i just I always say it's like it, it's like spelling. You probably know how to spell the word the, but occasionally you probably misspell yeah. it, and you're like, "All right, great." Just gonna have to keep on squibble that out. Um, and just uh, I couldn't have said it better myself, honestly, Topher. And uh, before we end this, is there? Would you like to share like any social media platform, anything that you're on, anything that you're working on, just so that if anything or anyone listening is like, "Oh man, I would you know I'd like to keep up with whatever Topher's up to." Um, feel free to share just to give that out there. Um, yeah. So um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to come on and yeah. speak today. But more importantly, thank you for just being a voice, being a light. Um, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to even promote 
what the Lord's doing in my life. Um, yeah. The one thing, the one thing that I truly want people to lock in with is, is the Lord. And so for me, if somebody doesn't have a home church or if they're still struggling or fearful to get out in, in person, um, you're more than welcome to come join us at VU. Um, mm. You can just go on YouTube um, and type in VU.com. It's V-O-U-S.com or VU Ministry. And you will see the lead pastor, Rich Wilkerson Jr. He's an amazing man after God's heart. And he has been such an amazing leader. And I really encourage people to get locked in with that ministry because I believe that the Lord is going to do big, big things through them. And his, his glory is going to be, he's going to be glorified through it all. So that, um, and if you guys want to take a look at my social media through TikTok, you're more than welcome. It is Topher the Guru. Um, that's my main account. But the one that I've been active on here more recently is Topher Evans, I believe. And you spell that T-O-P-H-E-R-T-H-E-G-U-R-U. That's Topher the Guru. And then Topher Evans is T-O-P-H-E-R-G-U. No, E-V-A-N-S, sorry. Um, <laughs> those are the only two things. Um, and to be honest, you guys don't even have to follow me, but I highly encourage just listening into some of the messages that, I, that the Spirit puts on my heart. Mm, and um, if you guys are wanting to reach out, you're more than welcome. And I will do my best to reach out and return and get to know you guys a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. That's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that community for people. And uh, I'm going to just throw in before we jump off um, real quick, since we're around the same age, um, I think that young adults and youth, like if you have, a, if you're listening and you have a heart for the Lord and you love him with all of your heart, like let's lead. All right. Let's show other people our age that like, you don't have to wait until you're older to get your life like quote unquote together for the Lord. I'm telling you, like, let's go now. Let's yeah. start a revival by just walking in love for the Lord, dressing the way that we do. You know, everyone has such a different style and that's fantastic. But like, come on, like, let's go yeah. and represent the Lord for the youth and cause so much revival now so that you guys, you know, can see that and give other people what we have. The sooner the better so that they can see that like you don't have to be older in a button up shirt or in a um, you know, in a church dress. I mean, which is fantastic, honestly. The aesthetic is great, but I'm just encouraging you that like if you've got, you know, your great aesthetic and you've got your outfits and you're excited and you love the Lord, I'm saying like go like like I love to say, let's do a wildfire of our age group and get more of us on fire for the Lord. And uh, let's get it uncontrollable and just so contagious. And um, so, yeah, like if you're listening and this has helped you and you're, you know, you're either, you know, you are curious about seeking God, but you don't have a relationship with them yet. I hope this encourages you to see that, like, I'm telling you, you're not you are not going to lose anything, but gain everything. You don't have anything to lose by just saying like, you know what, let me, let me give God a try, come into my life. And I promise you, you won't regret it. I promise you, you won't regret it. And actually, can I read your shirt real quick? Cause I love what it says. Uh, yeah. It says, I'm sorry if someone misrepresented Jesus to you. Cause I, yeah. I promise you that Jesus is love and, and kindness and grace. So thanks for wearing that shirt. Yeah, I honestly, I didn't even know. The funny part about the whole podcast is, is I was just assuming that we were just going to do voice recorders. There was no, no like facial thing. And so <laughs> around four o'clock, I was like, you know what? Like, what if I'm wrong? 
what if I need to be somewhat presentable today? Um, Holy and, Spirit said, hold up. Yeah, no, I had worked out. I was looking disgusting, all nasty, sweaty. And I was like, oh, so let me go ahead and shower. So I showered. And then I was like, well, I probably don't need to wear anything nice. And I had like a cutoff before we got on. And I was like, maybe I should change shirts at least and put on some like shorts and stuff. And so I got a little bit more presentable, but I still kind of look a little bummy, but um, no, I would say yeah. I think that um, the attire is definitely adequate, especially the T-shirt. So I'm glad you let me read it off of you. And <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, man, like I'm again, I'm so incredibly grateful. And I really do encourage you guys to check out um, to check out his social media. He really does post like, just spirit filled and, and followed by the spirit and, and just so on fire for the Lord. So his messages are wanting to just help others find that light and see that light for themselves. And so just such an incredible um, son of God. And um, with that being said, I mean, we've reached the end of today's episode. And um, it, again, I do again, just encourage you to check them out. And if you guys have any comments or anything like that, please let us know, send me an email, um, let them know that you you heard him on the podcast. And the fun thing with this Spotify, it does give you the option to leave little comments and all of that stuff. And we do see them. So uh, again, so grateful for everyone who was able to pop on and and listen to us chit chat back and forth about the goodness of God and what he can do with our pain. And I encourage you to share this with anyone that um, this very leads you to share or anyone that you might know that could really benefit to listen to this episode. Um, but other than that, I hope you guys have an incredibly blessed week. Um, and yeah, we're out. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to what God has done with my pain. If you are interested in helping me spread light and truth of what God can do with pain, go to givebutter.com dash what God has done with my pain. So the podcast may continue to sustain future episodes. As always, a huge shout out to Lazuli for her song, No Greater Love, which you can find on Spotify. And you can find Lazuli on Instagram at Lazuli, P-R-O-J. Swing by What Way This Way on Instagram to catch some of behind the scenes snippets. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss a single interview. Meantime, I would love to hear from you on social media or email. Until next time.